All right, so we'll have Debbie open us up with just a word of prayer. Okay, Father, we just want to thank you for bringing us all together today. And uh, thank you for opportunities like this, Lord, to hear from women who have been following you and that you walk through some storms with them and some pain. And, uh, Father, I know, uh, we know, there's, we all go through seasons of pain. And, um, Father, because we live in a fallen world, sometimes it's a result of uh, choices we've made, and sometimes choices other people have made, and sometimes it's just because there's death and disease, and uh, that's not what you wanted for us, Father, but that's what we gave ourselves when uh, we disobeyed you. So, God, I just pray that you'll uh, be with Sarah and Jenny as they speak to us out of the things you've taught them, God, and um, help us to understand how you work through pain and to uh, to learn how to trust you through those hard times. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Uh, yep. So as we're, you know, getting through the whole topic, you know, this retreat of being queen of me, you know, of how... How am I queen of my pain? When we talk about something that's just so big and dark and, and ugly and scary and terrifying, you know, and quite often, I mean, just flat out leaves us feeling powerless. Um, you know, these trials, loss, uh, grief, tends to feel like they have, you know, it just has its way with us. You know, suffering just leaves us questioning um, lost, angry, um, you know, and you're not alone if this is where you're at and this is what you're feeling like. This question of pain, this problem of pain, of how does a good God allow bad things to happen to his people is a question that's as old as creation itself. Um, you know, and the problem of pain in this life, particularly in God's kingdom, is not an easy one to talk about, think about. It's not a shallow topic. This is not a Christianity 101 class. Um, this stuff is deep and it's hard. Um, and considering the time limit that we have to go through this stuff, this lesson as a read adult is going to seem maybe even a little shallow. We're going to just kind of breeze over some stuff on the top and I'll, I move kind of fast. Um, but I felt like there's a lot to get through. So good thing it's recorded and kind of go back later. And also if anybody wants my notes, um, I'd be happy to copy them and, and uh, share them. Uh, as well as, um, you know, if I need to repeat a scripture reference, just let me know. So with that... You know, so if we talk about, you know, this process of, like, coal becoming a diamond, you take something that's dark, messy, it smudges everything, you know, um, and then this, this process of it becoming a diamond is long, dark, hard, and it involves a lot of pressure and a lot of heat. Um, you know, but the thing that you get in the end is so worth it. It's so worth that process. So... How do I get from being helpless and lost and pushed around by my pain to becoming this queen of it? You know, from going from being paralyzed and stuck to feeling, you know, powerful and like I, I you know, living life again. Um, one of the things I've come to understand, though, is pain's not a problem. It's a process. 
and as part of the process. And this process starts with my perspective. You know, so if you think about what's the difference between a stumbling block and a stepping stone, it's the same thing sitting there. It's what you do with it, how you use it. Um, so this process, call it a journey, call it a quest. Um, you know, these things involve steps. And like any difficult journey, that first step is often the hardest and the most difficult one and the scariest one to take. Uh, so step one. For anybody who takes notes, there's two subpoints if, you, if you're anal like I am and you need your things to line up. So underneath step one, um, I've got to acknowledge. And there's two things that I have to acknowledge. Number one, I just flat out got to acknowledge it hurts. You know, um, you got to acknowledge it happened. He said that. She did that. I did that. I didn't do that and wish I had. They're gone. You know, I didn't consent. What if? You know, you have to acknowledge these things in order to deal with them. And I'll be the first one to say, whatever it is, I am so, so very sorry that that happened to you and that the pain that you're facing is yours to face and to deal with. It's real, you know. Um, our society, and you know, and it's okay to acknowledge that it's not okay. And you can acknowledge, I'm not okay. We got to start there sometimes, you know. Um, our society has made it a really high priority to avoid negative feelings. You know, so we deny. We minimize. Oh, it's not really that bad. Other people have it worse. Um, we deflect. I'm not the problem. That's the problem. Um, we medicate with whatever. Um, we numb it. Anything so as to not just have to sit with it. And we do that much to our disadvantage. Psalms 34:18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So God is going to meet you where you are, not where you pretend to be, and not where you wish you were. So we got to be honest with where we are and acknowledge it. The second thing that I have to acknowledge to be queen of my pain is I have to acknowledge that there is a king. I'm not him. There is the one true king, and I have to acknowledge who I am in relation to him. You know, I have to know his heart and his character. This is probably one of the most difficult steps. It's the one Satan interferes with the most. Because I have to learn truth. I have to know what does God say about himself. And I have to know the truth about myself. So, and that, that's about perspective. It's about seeing clearly. John 8:44 says, Satan is a father of lies. First Peter 5, 8, we're told to be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. So what exactly is sober-minded? So it's thinking clearly. You know, I mean, if you think the difference between being intoxicated or being sober, you know, I got to have a clear thought process. I have to see clearly, not disillusioned, you know, and not buying Satan's lies. So how you think, what you believe, really really matters so your core beliefs shape your thoughts 
they drive your emotions, and they direct your behavior. So these trials that are born out of our pain really are a blessing because they, the, they get to expose what our true beliefs really are. Oftentimes there's a gap in what we think we believe and what we say we believe until that belief gets tested, and then my emotions are going to tell me what do I really believe. You know, oh, sure, I trust that you built that thing correctly. Wonderful. Climb on it. You know, so what you do, you know, those kind of things, you're going to get to see what your real beliefs are. So in order to know him and myself correctly, I have to know what he says about himself and myself. So how do I distinguish God's truth from the lies? Either the lies that are coming from Satan or the things that are just in my own head and my emotions. And that's, you have to compare it to the truth. So much like FBI agents that root out counterfeit money, take the real, take a real bill, put it up next to a counterfeit to see what's real and not. And they spend hours and hours learning what true, what a true $100 bill looks like so that they can spot a fake pretty easily. And some counterfeits are really, really good, and so you got to look close. And our beliefs are the same way. So 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So we have to take a thought that we have, an emotion, a lie, and we have to put it up against the word of God and say, which one's true? So I'm going to just kind of run through some of the lies that we tend to believe. I mean, now you could spend an, an entire class series on each one individually, uh, and there's many that I'm not going to list, but just kind of some of the more common ones. So we think, um, one lie, nobody understands what I'm going through. I'm alone. Believing this lie is dangerous because you will use it to justify pushing other people away. You will use it to justify isolating yourself. And you'll use it to justify not listening to people who want to speak some truth into your life because they can't possibly understand what I feel. So we got to understand, too, human, common human emotions are, are human emotions. So no, nobody knows exactly what you're going through. But somebody else does know what loss feels like. They know what betrayal feels like. They know what hurt, disappointment disappointment in yourself you know people know what these things feel like so what is some truth ecclesiastes 4 9 through 12 says two are better than one because they have a good return for their work if one falls down his friend can help him up but pity the man who has no one to help up also if two lie down together they will keep warm but how can one keep warm alone though one may be overpowered two can defend themselves and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. One another occurs over a hundred times in the New Testament. And, you know, even if you don't think you have a sister that understands, Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. Being tempted in every way that we have, therefore, let us boldly approach the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in a time of need. Jesus understands. He walked this earth. He got betrayed. He felt loss. He felt people abandon him. He saw people die. Jesus understands. We are not alone. 
one of the next lies that's kind of very similar leads to this one, kind of leads into this, and it may be more of an emotion than a thought, but God has abandoned me. He doesn't care what really happens to me. If he did, where is he? So there are too many scriptures to list that actually really counteract the truth of what that lie is. But Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So the truth is I have to realize that my feelings do not equal faith. And that my feelings, as strong and as powerful as they are, and as valid as they are, may not always be a true reflection of reality. So something, just because God feels far away doesn't mean he is. Something has blocked my ability to see him and sense him. So just like if I were to close those blinds and shut off the lights, and I cannot see the sun or feel its warmth, does not mean that it, it went away. Or that it's any farther away than what it was before. So um, the truth, again, we've already mentioned Psalms 34, 18. God is close to the brokenhearted. Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. 1 John 4, 8 and 16 both say God is love. You know, in Matthew 9, 36, and this is Jesus looking out. He says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Jesus sees you. You're not alone. You haven't been abandoned. One of the next lies that we can tend to believe is this thing, whatever it is, is too big. It is too scary. It is too painful. I can't do it. It's just too much. It's going to destroy me. This is a lie that can lead to a life of denial or addiction. Anything to avoid facing and feeling those things I don't want to feel. So the truth, Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Processing and feeling emotions will not harm you. They hurt, will not harm you. Repressing them will. So however you need to get through and work through this, again, the not alone thing, go to your sisters. This may require professional help. I've been in counseling before. I'll do it again in a heartbeat. Put my kids in counseling, you know. Um, kind of a sub-lie of this. So we all know the best lies contain elements of truth. You know, they're wrapped up in packages that seem right. Satan will take that truth and twist it just a little bit. So... God won't give you more than what you can handle. That's a lie. That's a lie. So, and what this lie leads to makes me feel like if I'm not handling this well, what's wrong with me? Something's wrong with my faith. Or, I'm not going to reach out for help because I shouldn't need it. God's not going to give me more than I can handle, right? No. So, what's the truth? Now, this, this phrase does come from a Bible verse, but it's a slight misquote. So the actual verse is 1 Corinthians 10.13. That says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up to it. We were never meant to walk this life and to bear these trials alone, ever. 
we want. So, and believing that lie will leave you feeling guilty and helpless. So, uh, one of the next ones, this is all my fault. It's just all my fault and God is punishing me. It's another one to kind of be careful with because uh, it may be true or partly true, you know. So truth, First uh, John 1, 9 says, confess your sins and he is faithful to forgive you. Is there something you need to confess and repent of? Sometimes we are hurting in our life and it is at our hand, either of sin, deliberate, or done in ignorance, or just flat out we did the best we could and it just wasn't, it wasn't, either it just wasn't enough or it just wasn't where God was leading us. So, 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow produces repentance without regret. If there is sin to repent of, that godly sorrow produces repentance without regret. You can move on from it without regret. Worldly sorrow, so the hopeless sorrow of those who do not believe, produces death. So what do you believe? you believe what God says here? So, the other thing in Hebrews 12 talks about, and sometimes these consequences that we face are discipline. God will let us face consequences. And anyone who's been around children or has children knows. God, you discipline the ones that you love. And there's a difference between discipline and punishment. You know, your children will think it's all punishment, you know, but you understand there's a difference. So, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline then. God is treating you as sons for what son is not disciplined by his father. <laughs> so it may be something we just need to take hold of and learn from, which we'll, we'll get to that point. But also, did you simply just make a mistake? Part of the truth that you, you know, or do the best you can with good intentions, you need to understand the truth here is that there is a God. You're not him. We are limited in what we can see and we can do and know. So if you can look at something and say, I did the best that I knew to do at that time with the resources that I had, accept that. You have to challenge the, well, I should have X, Y, Z. Should you? I mean, how? give yourself permission to be human and to say, if you did the best you knew to do, ask God to help you have peace with that, that you did the best that you knew that you could do. Denise was talking about what's in our realm of control. I need to realize what I can control and what I can't. So, um kind of on the tail end of that one with this God has punished me is this sense of I deserve this. Whatever this is that I'm sitting in, I just deserve it. Believing that I am only worth what my circumstances are, how I've been treated, or how I've behaved is a lie that will leave you stuck in a performance trap. It leaves you people pleasing and leaves you with unnecessary guilt and easily to be manipulated. So the truth, Genesis 1, 26-27, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, 
So God created man in his own image, male and female. He created them. James 3.9 also acknowledges that we are made in the likeness of God. So it doesn't matter who else sees your value, be it someone else or you yourself. God made you in his image. And John 3.16, we know this one, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, <coughs> that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You believe in Jesus? Then you, you are part of that whoever. And God paid a high price. Who in here is going to pay $100 for a piece of paper? Piece of trash. You don't do it. God doesn't either. You don't pay a high price for something of no value. God paid a high price for you. So, and in Matthew 10, 29 through 31, uh, says, or not, uh, Matthew 10, 29 through 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. We have tremendous value. You have tremendous value. So what are you going to tell yourself? What voices are you going to listen to? Are you going to allow to speak into your life to saturate your mind and your heart? So I'm going to let Kat come up and share just a little bit of her testimony. Um, just about choosing to believe truth over lies. Hi, everybody. Hi. My name is Kathleen Hyman, and I want to quote um, from the dead, dread pirate Roberts from Princess Bride. Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who tells you otherwise is trying to sell you something. I'm, my life is not shy of pain. Um, I'm just going to give a rundown of brief things that have happened in my lifetime. Um, probably in middle school, um, sexual abuse came upon me and my family. Um, I don't know that I defined it as sexual abuse until after I started coming to church here when I was in high school and understood what abuse was. Um, so, and I don't even know exactly when it started or what you know, what timeline just to call, call it sexual abuse, but when I was a sophomore in high school, I understood that there was danger going on in my household, and was at a lineage retreat similar to this, where we were learning about abuse, and having had the strength to share with a youth leader about what was going on in my household, and then that weekend, went home, I'm going to get emotional, sorry, <laughs> but um, went home, and my dad was arrested. And it destroyed my family, and they didn't, it's not that they didn't believe me, because other abuse was foretold and things came out, but um, but I was to blame. I destroyed our family. And so there was a lot of hostility within my home. Um, I was 15. And so my mom gave me a choice. I wasn't supportive of you. I didn't protect you. Um, do you feel like you want to live somewhere else? So I had the opportunity to live with a couple at church, live with them for about two weeks, and then my aunt said, uh, we don't know who these people are. Why, are. why is she living 
outside the household instead of, you know, I'll take her in. So I went back home and, and moved on, went through counseling, whatever. And then my senior year, my dad was able to move back home. And then um, due to some finances that my grandmother had bestowed upon us, I had gained some money and such. So my sophomore year of college, my dad was kindly reminded me of how I had this money and this apartment could be for rent or this um, house could be purchased or whatever. Because um, when he moved back home, he had, you know, anger issues more than, you know, didn't come in with sexual abuse anymore, but he had anger issues. And I reminded them of his wrongdoings. So it was constantly put upon me, um, hey, you need to go away. Um, so that led to a lot of insecurities, a lot of where do I fit in? My own flesh and blood don't want me around. Luckily, I had the church to give me that support that I needed. But, um, but all of that deep-seated, and I didn't realize that. So fast forward um, to many years. Married, having kids, my older sister ended up with some abuse situations. Her two kids needed somewhere to live. And my husband and I stepped up and we took them in. Um, unfortunately, because of their behaviors and things like that, we had them for a year and then stuff was going on. I had to protect my family. Then we had them moved. And then more years went by and didn't have lost contact and needed to know what was going on with my nieces. And it turned out that one was in a stable home and one was not. So I proceeded to pursue um, gaining my older niece, Cheyenne, back into my life. And she was able to move back in. And we eventually adopted her. She was about 10, almost 11 by the time. 11 when we adopted her, but 10 when she moved back with us. And with her own turmoil and things like that, and um, you know, trying to be as good of a mom as I could, um, we didn't get always get along and she, um, you know, tried her best to not listen and not behave and things like that, which then, you know, again, brought about insecurities and, um, uncertainties and constant bickering and things like that. So then it made me feel like I wasn't fit to be her mom. And then it rolled into my other kids. I don't deserve to be the wife in this family. I don't deserve, if I wasn't in this picture, the turmoil would be gone. And it just deep-seated inside of me. And um, I started believing that lie that my family would be better off if I didn't exist. I never pursued anything, but that's really where my heart was. My family would be better off without my presence. And um, it made it hard. And then eventually Cheyenne, um, you know, last straw, she had graduated. She needed to um, either be real with us or because she was bringing people into our home that we didn't know. And caught her one time and she denied it. And it was like, you know, you need to be real or you need to be out of our house because it's a safety issue at this point. So she... Claimed that we kicked her out. She made arrangements to move out of our house. Never even shared with us that she was actually moving out. Um, and she's basically denied us. And she has three children now that we have never met. And so, um, so again, more, you know, I don't deserve to be in her life, whatever, you know, and I have 
have a younger daughter, Andrea, that a lot of you guys know. And so some of the insecurities of developing and raising Cheyenne through her teen years. Now, Andrea's in her teen years, and similar bickering and whatever, because, you know, teen daughters, they know best. Um, <laughs> and so... Um, so we had a we had a fight one day and it reminded me of similar fights that Cheyenne and I had had and, and so then I spun, you know, down that turmoil of I don't deserve to be her mom. She'd be better off if I wasn't the one being her mom. And and just you know, this spiral. And luckily I had I had, you know, people to talk to and I had um, plenty of, of uh, you know, Bible verses and and books that I read and things like that. And um, uh, Joy FM was was doing a, a a special mom's night out or girls' night out or something like that. And one of my coworkers had an extra ticket, invited me to go. I had not, I didn't know much about it. I didn't, um, but God did. God knew it was what I needed because um, the whole premise was healing out loud. And there were two guest speakers who were singers um, who shared their story of different turmoils that were going on in their life and how they needed to, to say it out loud, to get it out on the table, to, to reveal, this is what happened to me, but that doesn't define me, that doesn't declare my value, that doesn't declare who I am as a person. God still loves me and brings me out of that. And I needed to hear that. And... Um, got a free book with it called, you know, the same title, Healing Out Loud. And it, then it led me to want to return to counseling and, and get some of this out, out in the open and get it, you know, to heal out loud. And, um, and just through all of that, um, you know, God has to remind me that my value isn't about my actions or what other people believe my actions were toward them, that, that I... I am valuable because he says I'm valuable. And um, after you know reading through the Bible here recently, um, I was reminded about King David and and looking at his story when um, you know King Saul was kind of going off the deep end, and Samuel was looking for a new king to take over Israel, and went to the house of Jesse and saw all of his sons lined up and was like, oh, this one must be it, that one must be it. It was wrong. And it's like, well, where's your other son? There's got to be somebody. And he's like, oh, David, he's, he's out, she, you know, he's a shepherd. And and it just made me think about, you know, he was the youngest, and maybe that was just his job, but but I, I thought deeper and was like, David was only good enough to be the shepherd. He wasn't on the front line. He wasn't presented before the prophet to be the potential next king. He was just the shepherd. His own dad didn't think him valuable enough to be presented. But God saw that he was valuable enough to be the king of Israel and lead to the lineage of Jesus. So just because others don't declare our value... God declares it, and that's what I stand on. That's cool. That last point was deep. <laughs> I got to think about that. I am. That was good.
Yeah. Yep. So, acknowledging truth. So, step two. Now that we're acknowledging truth, I got to embrace it. So, and that is, you know, and embracing it isn't just a one time or a quick, okay, got it, moving on. I got to sit with it. I got to soak in it. I got to let it steep and change my heart. Um, I got to refuse to let it go. Like somebody who's drowning clings to a life preserver. You know, because quite frankly, when I'm just in the sea of that pain, that's what I am. I am a drowning, desperate person. And I got to cling to that truth of who God is and who he says I am. Because my life literally depends on it. My soul depends on that. You know, um, Philippians 4. Philippians 4 is probably my favorite chapter in the entire Bible. I just sit in there. So, but four, six through nine, so all the way, this whole thing. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Meditate on those. Dwell on those. What rules your thoughts? What do you meditate on? What do you allow your brain to chew on and turn over and over? What music do you listen to? Now here, this isn't being legalistic. I'm not saying you can't ever listen to regular radio, you know. But what do you allow to permeate your mind and your heart? What voices are you listening to? Are they true? Are they lovely? Are they noble? Or is it ugly, dark, painful, hateful, hurtful, shallow, mm -hmm. denial? Everything's all rainbows and unicorns. Is it truth? Are you dwelling on truth and are you allowing truth into your heart and into your mind? So Isaiah 26, 3 also says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. And just think about how wonderful would that peace be? That peace that passes understanding. God says he will keep in perfect peace all those whose thoughts are fixed on him. And this isn't easy stuff. This isn't a recite a verse one time and it's fixed. This isn't like, you know, if you're trying to be healthy and all this other kind of stuff, okay, I'm going to eat an apple and I've done my thing, you know. No, this is this has got to be a lifestyle. This has got to be a 24-7. This has got to be the mainstay. And something we can't do on our own, but it does start with you and God. James 1.5 also says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously and without finding fault. Oh, I love this. This is probably the prayer God has answered the most in my life. When I just flat out don't know, I ask God. And if you listen, you get direction. Sometimes that little whisper, that gentle nudge, that phone call that came out of the blue, you know, that verse that pops in your head, the song that comes on the radio. 
These are things God will help you, but you've got to embrace that truth and you've got to surrender to it. So with that, I'm going to have Sarah share a little bit of her story and how she has embraced truth. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Sarah Jones, and uh, for anybody who doesn't know me, um, Kathy is my mom, for anybody who doesn't know that fact. <laughs> People are still figuring that out. Um, I've been a Christian at Greater Alton for 28 years. That's a long time. It's weird because I'm only 29 years old. Um, so weird. Um, <laughs> I know. Uh, that is so weird. That is so weird. Um, so that... That quote uh, that Kathleen said whenever she came up is so true, um, even though that's not a Christian movie. But life is pain, highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. Because our, our life was going to be full of pain. Um, no matter if we're in the world, no matter if we're in the church, I think we are just going to be, our life is going to be full of pain. Um, so some overview of my personal pain. Um I was married for 14 years and then divorced uh, from a man that I thought was a Christian, and that's the father of my kids. Um, I experienced child loss, and I married another man that I thought was a good godly man, like a really good godly man. Like, this one really swept me off my feet, you guys. I did not anticipate getting divorced a second time, um, and not only that... That was just a super traumatic divorce because I went through a whole lot of, like, just serious, like, struggle, first of all, in deciding to get divorced, and there was just a lot of really, like, a lot of trauma in that marriage, and I currently have a child who has walked away from a relationship with God, so I raise a child who does not follow God during my first divorce. And the child loss. I was so angry, you guys. Like, I was just so angry. Um, I didn't want to accept, you know, that this was my life. I didn't want to accept that I was going through any of that. Um, I pushed people away. Um, I was just really, I guess, you know, just in denial that, that I was experiencing any of that. I mean, it was obvious that I was experiencing that. There was really no no actual denying it, but I was just really angry. Um, against everything in me, I took grief share, and uh, <laughs> I didn't really want to take grief share, but you know, you do the things that you're like supposed to do or whatever, and um, in that class, I don't, I honestly, guys, I don't remember anything else about that class except for that there was this video and in the video, this woman said that, I don't remember if she said that she wasn't a bereaved parent or that she wasn't a bereaved person, but that she was a child of God and that she wasn't defined by her grief. And I remember I was so mad that she said that because I was mad that anybody said anything like, you know, like that when their child died. They would say, like, you know, now they had no pain, and now they weren't suffering. And I was like, who cares? You know, like, I want my kid here with me, or, you know, whatever. Like, I just didn't, like, how could anyone just accept, you know? And so uh, when she said that in that video, I was like, 
okay, but I want to be defined by my grief. I want to be bereaved. I wanted to cling to these things and be defined by that. And I knew also in that moment, like as soon as that happened, then I knew in the next moment that I was supposed to be offended by that. You know, I was like, okay, God put me here so that I could have this offended moment because he really wanted me to hear that. And oh, that made me mad too. Um, <laughs> because I was supposed to learn this lesson and I didn't want to be learning any lessons. I just wanted to stay mad all the time. I wasn't surrendered like at all. And I knew I wasn't surrendered at all, but I was just like, I just really wanted to be steeped in this anger, but a while ago, years ago, probably on Facebook or whatever, I saw that meme that said, I sat with my anger long enough until she told me her real name was grief, because anger is a secondary emotion, and I knew that I just needed to process all of this anger and really you know, experience it and stuff. I wasn't healed, probably really wasn't healed from my first divorce whenever I got married again. I thought I was, I guess, but I wasn't. And then he wasn't either, honestly. But, you know, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother story. Um, <laughs> so, in the process of my second divorce, which, like I said, really caught me off guard, um, I had a choice to make. I could get really angry again because that's just really unfair. Let's face it. That's that's just super unfair. Um, and I could stop my feet and say to God, this is really unfair. How could you let me go through this again? Um, also, too, because there wasn't a lot of support for getting divorced again. Let's face it. This is not what the church is supposed to do. We're not supposed to get divorced. Um, or I could embrace this pain, this situation, and just really get close to God in in the process. Um, I do want to read a couple of scriptures. Um, one of the things that I um, I realized in the in the first situation that I was in, in the anger and everything, is that uh, my life just really reflected uh, Romans 7, 21 through 23, and I'm going to read that. Um, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. I was, I was a slave to my anger, and I was a slave to not being surrendered to God. I had no hope. I, I mean, I remember actually feeling that and thinking that and saying that all the time. I was absolutely hopeless. I had no hope. Um, during the years it took to get to the point of going through my second divorce, like actually getting divorced, I cleared out my entire, um, coat closet downstairs in my house I was living in at the time, and I turned it into a prayer closet. Um, I made it to where I got in that closet every single day, and I, I just got with God every day. I got in my Bible, I prayed, I put posters <coughs> and scriptures on the wall. Um, I have not stopped reading my Bible every day since that those years. Um, I haven't missed a quiet time with God. I wake up early on purpose. I'm not saying this to brag, you guys. I'm not like trying to get up here and be like, look how inflated and super spiritual I am that I get in my Bible every morning or anything. I, I need this time in my Bible every morning um, because this is my lifeline. Um, I can't do this without 
without this time with God. I mean, I, I like type out prayers every morning. I'm like, I'm like super serious about, um, how I've gotten this, him to lift me back up. I mean, I, I would be, I would have drowned. I would have just like, I would have just sunk. Um, the scripture I want to read to you now is in Zechariah 9. Um, if I know my Old Testament. Zechariah 9, 12. And it says, Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. We're either going to be a prisoner of our anger and a prisoner of sin and a prisoner of, like, lostness, or we're going to be a prisoner of hope. And I had no hope before, and I have hope again, and I didn't get that back on my own. I got that back because of just simply meeting with God every single day and telling him, like, I don't know what to do anymore, but you do, and you're just going to have to help me. And it started so slow. It was just, it, like she said, it wasn't eating an apple and, oh, look, I'm healthy. It was, it was literally like moment by moment sometimes. But then it's like every single day now it's like, that's all it takes. I don't know what else to say about that. I don't have this grand finale like Kathleen did. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, we're right at 11. So buckle up, we're going to finish. <laughs> yeah, so step two embrace it. You got to just embrace it. It's a choice, and it takes discipline, and it takes determination. It takes God, and it takes your sisters, you know, and time. Oh, it takes time, but it's so worth it. Um, just like it takes time to build a relationship with a real person, it takes time to build that relationship with God. So, step three, <clears throat> becoming queen of my pain. I can't waste it. Don't waste it. I got to learn from it, and I got to grow from it. It's a bitter pill to swallow. It just is. It is in that crucible of suffering, of pain, of mourning, that my faith and my true beliefs are tested, exposed, refined, strengthened. So just like a wall or a bridge, when it gets put under stress, the cracks get exposed that otherwise would remain hidden. That is the blessing that pain and loss and suffering can be in our life. It exposes the cracks. It shows where I'm not quite believing what's, what's true. Things are getting tested. So C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Problem of Pain, says we can ignore pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And that's just true. So, um, and our hearts are the same way. So James 1, 2, and 3. I have a love-hate relationship with this verse. <laughs> Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking in anything. So remember earlier when I said that the process, it is part of the process. So what is the process? The process is the whole reason we were put on this earth to begin with. 
And the reason we aren't whisked away to heaven as soon as we're baptized. So it is a process of becoming that image bearer that we were created to be back in Genesis. There is a purpose that we have. And if Jesus, like Colossians 1.15 says, Jesus is the visible image of an invisible God, we can look at Jesus and his walk on earth to see what does it mean to be that image bearer. What did he go through? How did he act and behave? And, you know, if Jesus' walk on earth involves suffering to perfect him and his obedience, like Hebrews, this, this verse blew my mind when I first found it. I mean, just blew my mind. 2.10 says something similar, but 5.8 says it a little clearer. It says, and although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So if Jesus' walk involves some suffering, I have to expect that mine will too. And that there's nothing wrong other than the fact that this is a broken, fallen world. But us walking through this life is preparing us for something. So, back to James. There's a similar verse in Romans 5, 3 through 5. I have a little more love and less hate for this verse. Um, because it kind of finishes. I think it's a little more complete thought than the one um, that's in James. But... It says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. This is where our hope comes from, but it's a process like Sarah was talking about. we got to surrender to it. We just have to. Uh, so pain. Suffering, it's a gift in disguise that can unlock that queen that God has put inside each of us. It's part of the process. We can grow past the point where pain is ruling our lives, paralyzing us, and the secret is surrender. Embracing the work that God is doing in our hearts. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, Our faces then are not covered, it's a reference back to Moses, we all show the Lord's glory around us because, and we are being changed to be like him. This change in us brings us more and more glory, and it comes from the Lord, who is spirit. So, uh, and Philippians 1, 6, this is where a lot of hope comes from, is the fact that the, the key really is surrender. God started this work. God is doing this work. This isn't on me to make something of myself and my life. This isn't me pulling myself up by my bootstraps. You know, this isn't a suck it up buttercup kind of moment. This is a surrender to God and let him pull the weeds out of your heart and turn you into this glorious queen that he made you to be to begin with. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am confident that God who began the good work in you will continue it until it's finally finished on that day when Christ Jesus returns. It's surrender. So, Revelation 3, 11 says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. You know, Psalms 8, 5 says, God made him, so God made you, just a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned you with glory and honor. You made, and you made him, he made you ruler over the works of your hands and you put everything under his feet. The crown God has given us is one of glory and power, and he wants us to use it. 
So my suffering, it's been this July, it'll be 20 years since my brothers died. I got two babies in heaven. Brother-in-law died to suicide. Every time, gosh. Mother-in-law to a brain aneurysm. Many family members and dear friends have died to cancer. My own struggle with depression. God even reached down and saved me when I tried to take my own life. I don't know why God chose to put me on such a path to endure loss and grief like that. And I ask why. Oh, at times I demanded to know why. But better than answering that question, he gave me himself and he gave me his presence. And I fought it initially. I refused to acknowledge. I didn't want to feel that pain. I mean, who does? But like C.S. Lewis says, that pain depends to be felt. And like waves of an ocean, if you've ever stood in the ocean and those waves hit you, you can't turn around and you can't run from it. It will suck your feet out from underneath you and you're going under. So turning to God, leaning into him was like leaning into those waves of an ocean and you just brace and let him hit. And then you realize, oh, I'm still standing. You know, so as the first loss hit, I too kind of got drug into grief share, kicking and screaming the first time, <laughs> you know, but the things that those, those tools that that gave me that taught me to lean into God and rely on him when that next loss came, when that next wave hit me and I leaned into it, oh, it still hurt. Don't get me wrong. It still hurt. Some things still hurt, but you know what? I stand. I stood, you know? Um, so my pain has enabled me to joy, enjoy this life in a way that I would have never been able to enjoy had I not suffered first. You know, the smallest things now can bring me the greatest joy because I know what it is to not have. You know, these dark times, these trials that we walk through deepen our faith and our capacity for joy, and they lead to a true peace that passes understanding. Pain is that door that opens your life to a world of purpose. You just got to walk through it. So my pain, your pain, can have meaning. Close my Bible. I got one last verse for you. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. Whatever your purpose might be, this is where God has shown me mine is. And praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So all of my suffering has brought me to this place. It's this place now of ruling. You know, I am the queen now as I surrender to my part in his story. You know, and having that hope and that purpose, my crown is secure. You know, yours can be too. So, close us with a little bit of prayer. We're 10 over. Somebody has stopped time to go to the bathroom. <laughs> All right. Oh, God. Um, Father, we just come before you. Father, and um, God, as hard as it's been, I do now thank you so much for the trials that you have put in my life. I remember hearing somebody say years and years ago, um, as he was sharing about the abuse in his childhood, how if now, as an adult, he could go back to his childhood and change it, would he? And he would not because of where he's come from. And I remember thinking, what a dumb thing to say. Why would you not change that? And now, God, you have brought me to a place now that if I could go back and change some of those things that have happened to me, I don't know if I would, um, God, because I wouldn't have the peace and the strength in my life um, 
now had you not taught me how to walk through those things. God, I lift up every woman who is here in this class. God, not just in this one, everyone who's here now, Father, just to help us trust you. Help us to believe you. God, open our eyes and our ears that we hear your voice and that we see your truth above Satan's lies or our own hurt that wants to scream above them, God. And help us to believe you. Help that knowledge move from our head down into our heart, God, that we can know and have that peace that passes understanding, God, and to be the queen that you have made us to be. Father, I thank you for your son, God, for our one true king. Lord, it's in his name. Amen. Thank you.